guys enjoyed that left hand turn down the waterfall too? That was equally exciting. Amen. God bless you guys. Um, I say it, and maybe you get tired of hearing it, but I'm going to say it again. We, people say sometimes like, hey, we like the church, like we're new here and we like the church. And not being joking, I, I say I, we've always wanted to go to a church like this. We've always wanted to be a part of something like this. So the fact that we're doing this together, that um, I'm so excited about 300 you know, portions of the New Testament being handed out. By, by the way, that, that, was, um, that town was formerly known as Nineveh and now is known as Mosul. And anybody that's in the Iraq War, you'll remember the, the battles in and around Mosul, um, Ramadi, Fallujah. These missionaries are going and handing out tracts. There are people being saved. God is doing something amazing. There is, there's a power in military might. Amen? Sometimes, though, what God wants to do is beyond the might of man. It's in the might of the Holy Spirit, not by power, not by might, but by the Holy Spirit. And so one of the things that we try to do, some would call it colonization, some would call it liberation, some would call it capitalism, some would call it whatever it is. But, but I know this. God is always speaking a relevant word to every generation and after war, the good news is great news. And uh, the people of Iraq are responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're buying as 100 Bibles a month now. We're doing for this upcoming year. We're going to put another 100 Bibles a month into, and these are complete New Testaments, I think, with Psalms and Proverbs into. And, and what's funny is it's not like, oh, we're Muslim, we don't want this. They were leaving the mosque, and they said, well, what is that? And they said, this is the book of John, or the book of Luke, rather. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all but two said thank you for it took it and they said oh we're so excited they were smuggling them from one town to another you have to go through the iraqi security then you have to go through kind of the iranian um oh they, there's a group uh trump sent them a bomb remember that that group the iranian military thing that's so that guy that got blown up in that incident uh that that group got to get through that checkpoint but that's pretty radical islamic stuff so they pulled them over and they said open your trunk they opened the trunk it was full of new testaments <laughs> and they said what are these and that's a moment. Do you say they're cookbooks? What do you say, right? They say it's the Bible. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And the guard goes, oh, uh, can I have one of those? <laughs> and they gave him one. He said, close the trunk and just go. Close the trunk and go. So, I mean, God's hand is on people that are brave, you know, that have courage, that are obedient. So, God bless you, Freedom Center. It's good to be a part of this. Um, today, we're going to take part four of our series on miracles. Do you believe in miracles? How many guys believe in miracles? Say amen. I do, too. Good morning, Grand Blank. Good morning, live stream. Uh, yes, I put on two pounds. Don't judge me. I'm still carrying a little holiday weight, but I got 364 more shopping days until Christmas to get rid of it. So um, let's talk a little bit today about the, 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 the formula, if you will. If there was a mathematical formula for miracles, what would it look like? If we were to understand what God wants to do, what God can do, what God's able to do, what we need him to do, what we want him to do, what, we, what he has to do, because we can't do it. What, what would that look like? And I, I, think, I think one of the unfortunate parts about the, the equation is before you can see a miracle, you need to have one. Okay. The older people said yes. Let me try it again. I'm sorry. Did my wife say yes? Okay, no. The beautiful people said yes. The other people... In other words, like, I want to see miracles. Well, understand, to see miracles, there has to be a need for them. So I want to see healings. Well, there's going to be sickness. I want to see deliverance. Well, there's going to be spiritual bondage. I, I want to see miraculous provision. That means there's going to be hellish need. 
And so what we're, what we're dealing with today is not, hey, don't pray for miracles because something bad's going to happen. Plenty of bad things are happening, and we have a desperate need for the miraculous of God to show up in our everyday lives. Come on. But, but I would also say this. Remember this, that, that sometimes that moment where we're supposed to believe is the moment we stop believing because it seems too hard. I, I want God to move in somebody else's life in Iraq, in the war-torn, but I, I don't really want to have needs like that. Understand this. The more you engage with humanity, the more you'll be aware of really how suffering works, how much suffering there is, how much sickness, how much depression. We come to church, and I, I think we're a relatively, if not fully open church. Like, I, how you doing? Like, bad. <laughs> I've, I've talked to people. I, I like body language, so you're behaving yourself, and they go, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, you just lied to a pastor on Sunday morning. How are you? <laughs> Fine. Understand this. If you're ever going to interrogate, I'm sorry, if you're ever going to read somebody and understand what they're really going through, whatever question you ask them you want an answer to, pretend you ask them, you were buying a used car from them, and you just ask them, does the car run good? Unless you're an English teenager. Then it's like, does the car run well? And when you say that, how are you doing? How's, how's the car run? Oh, you know, it's kind of blah. Like, I'm not buying the car. I'm not buying your answer. But if you really want to know what somebody's doing, ask them the same question twice. And the second time, lean in and go, no, no. How are you doing? And then listen to the answer. And what you'll find in most lives of people that are serving the Lord in this room right now is just about everybody needs a miracle from God. That miracle can be for us. It can be for somebody we know. Just this morning, a, a, a member of our family, not by blood, but by adoption, you know, comes to us and says, yeah, I've got this terrible situation. Family member, we just prayed from the 02 numbers are 56 and all the, all the pathologies that are, that are there. It's, it's bad, man. Like, it, like it's not just, all oh, he needs an aspirin. No, he needs a miracle. How many of us know we serve a miracle-working God, but so often, like, we don't want the dynamics that require miracles. So, so here's the question. What, what do we do when things that come our way are bigger than we are? And before you just go, well, you just like stop. What I've seen so often in people's lives, and right now we're actually working on a, a video resource. I'm in the process of kind of conceiving a, a fifth book that would be on this topic because I've seen so many people's faith be enough to raise their hands, say the prayer, read the Bible, go to the group. But man, when the rubber meets the road and there's pain involved, how many guys know it takes a different kind of faith? It, it takes, it takes a, a, a firmness. It takes an absolute. It takes a, a no matter whatness. I think I made up half of those words. But you know what I'm talking about. It, either we believe God no matter what happens or our faith will fail us because he didn't do what we told him to do in something we called prayer. And, and I, I'm telling you, really good Christians and really moral people, and, and let's just go to like the 12 apostles. One commits suicide, ele- 10 of the other 11 are, are executed, and one dies of old age after being boiled in oil. So following Jesus is not like everything's going to go well. There are going to be difficult times where we just have to hold on, but the evidence says, like, oh, I know, but I'm going to hold on, but I don't understand what's happening. I know, but hold on. When it comes time to say we want to work in the miraculous, understand we, got, we have to confront hell, and it's used to being in charge in most lives. There's going to be a confrontation. There's going to be a war. So before we have this answer, like, well, you should just trust God, understand that when you're in pain, that answer is useless, even though it's correct. And so what do we do? How do we hold on to God? What do we do? This is not the morality type of Christianity we're talking about here, by the way. I knew that on December 26, most people that would be here would be mature enough to take this message. How many of you know we don't preach this message on Christmas Eve? We preach it the day after when everybody's home sleeping off Christmas. Why? Because there's a, there's a message for the mature. And if you're watching at home right now and you're sleeping off Christmas, God bless you. I'm not saying you're not mature by being here. I'm implying it. 
clearly. <laughs> just kidding. But I'm, but I'm not saying it. I'm, I'm not. I'm just simply saying this, guys. Listen, there, Christianity is more than morality. Faith is more than just moving mountains. Faith is more than getting what you want from God. There's another kind of faith we've been talking a lot about lately, and that's when we don't get what we want from God, what you then believe. So this is where I've seen incomplete or immature or uh, uninformed faith absolutely be destroyed. There's a growing characteristic of those who once called themselves Christians. They call themselves the nuns. You know that? Not like priests and nuns, but like the N-O-N-E-S. I, I, you know, if you're, are you this, this, this? They say, I have no religious affiliation. By the way, I love those people, and I love atheists. I, I literally do. I'm not saying, like, I love them because I have to. Like, I would rather, I would rather talk about God with an atheist or a nun more often than with a believer. And I, I don't mean that isn't sweet fellowship. I just love the interaction. Ask me hard questions that have no answers. Let's get in the Word. Let's get in prayer. Let's see if we can't find answers. Because how many guys know for every question, Jesus is the answer on one level or another? So having those conversations, people say, you know, what happened? How'd you become a nun? And almost completely, like 100% of the time, people say, well, I used to believe, and then, and you can fill in the rest of the blank, right? I used to believe, but then I prayed a prayer that didn't get answered. I used to believe, but then, and if you look at what happened to the history of Christianity, coming out of the Dark Ages, the Reformation, the Enlightenment era, all this great stuff, well, all of a sudden, the Protestant-Catholic wars take place. People go, wait, Christians are killing Christians. I I can't reconcile that with what I see and know of God. And then we have World War I, mechanized warfare, where millions were killed of disease, pestilence, bullets, machine guns, and they couldn't reconcile faith in God who would let that happen. Then World War II happened, which for most of our grandparents, great-grandparents, I guess you know what I'm talking about. So faith has been through hell. The, the, the belief in God is never utopian. It's always on a battlefield. So this understanding, what happened to Christianity? What happened to the, the great revivals of all? Well, you know what happened? The, the, the terrible tragedies of modern warfare would be just one of those things. Modern disease, communication. And I, I know I make jokes about social media, but how many of you guys know you can find out something bad happened any moment of any day and call it entertainment or news? So we live in a different world. We're going to have to have an answer to that question. What do we do with things that come our way that are bigger than we are. And here's the answer, even though it's trite. Here we go. We come to God with our petition to bring heaven to earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Today, I want to talk to you about prayer. And, and I, I almost don't want to use the word prayer because it paints the picture of knees and folded things, or maybe it has the, the beads and a, and a cross and a rosary, or maybe it has the Jews at the wailing wall repeating things in, in Jerusalem and, and bowing back and forth. Maybe it's this boring self-discipline you've never developed. So can we, can, we, can we find a better word than prayer today? Not that that isn't the right word. That's the word Jesus uses, but let's, let's just in our own hearts, when we say prayer, we're talking about talking to God about a world that's out of control, that he wants to come in submission to him and the role that we play in it. Let me, let me show you what Jesus said about what to do when we need a miracle. You guys doing good? This is what he said. Ask. I could literally drop the mic and go home, but that's about it. He's going to say a lot more, but really he answers that question with a single word. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Now, I say this, but just hear me again. The biblical language doesn't allow things like capital letters or punctuation marks. So when someone wants to shout something, when someone wants something, they'll say like a a preface, verily, verily, I say unto you. That means I I don't have any capital letters. I don't have any exclamation points. But but this is not a, a statement like other statements. This is a statement, or what Pastor Adam calls a power statement. I want you to hear this. This is important. And so Jesus says, ask. And you go, okay, that's it. No, no, it'll be given to you. Oh, good. Seek. Well, 
Isn't that like asking? Yes, but I'm trying to find another way to say the exact same thing. And you'll find, knock! Isn't that like asking and seeking? Yes, shut up, I'm teaching. And the door will be opened to you. How many of you guys know he's trying to say something, but he's not done? For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, he just took a triple imperative and reiterated it again. Nowhere else that I'm aware of in biblical language does that take place. Even when angels are describing the holiness of God, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. They'll say, holy, 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 which means this, which is like that, and comes back to it again. But Jesus literally says, ask, seek, knock, because everyone, everyone, everyone. And then he comes back a third time and gives us a parable on the exact same thing he just said eight times. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? Although that would be great on a fishing retreat, I understand what he's saying here, right? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, well, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who what? What do you think he's saying? A triple imperative, reemphasized with an absolute, and then illustrated with a parable. I think Jesus is telling us something. Now, understand this. This is not the end of the equation. Okay, so I ask, okay, so God, uh, you know, Bill's in the hospital. He's got low oxygen level. Heal him. How many of you guys know that may be all that is needed for the miracle? But what if it isn't? Like, what, what if we prayed that prayer? We asked. We sought. We knocked. We went to heaven's door and said, excuse me, Jesus, could I trouble you for a second? I've got this friend of mine in the hospital. He's got COVID. I've got this situation that's going on in my life. I've got this problem of deliverance. I've got this issue of repetitive sin. I got, man, I've got, got this temper. I've got this generational. I got, like, here, God, help me. I'm asking, seeking, knocking. I asked God and nothing happened. How many of you guys don't raise your hand? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? I asked God and nothing happened. Therefore, ergo, there is no God. And if he is, he's not good. And our faith goes on a stroll and doesn't come back again for years sometimes. So Jesus doesn't stop his teaching on prayer there. On another occasion, Jesus doesn't stop but just ask. He says this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Question. The answer's on the board. I emphasize the correct answer, so do not be afraid to answer this like it's a trick question. What is Jesus about to teach us about? Anybody know? We're supposed to, without ceasing, and not give up. It's a different type of prayer. There's asking prayer, but there's asking, 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 asking prayer. So this is, this is his illustration. He said, a certain town, there was a judge, a very powerful, he's the guy that runs the joint. What he says is true is true. What he says is false is false. Guilty is guilty. Innocent is innocent. He's the judge, right? And he has no fear for God, and he couldn't give a flying furry rat's rear end for people. And there was a widow, so the most powerful, the least powerful, in the town, in that town, who kept coming to him with the plea, hey, come on, it's not right what they're doing to me. Come on, they, they move the boundaries. Come on, they're not giving me the portion. Come on, they're being unfair to my sons. Come on, come on, come on, and give me justice against my adversary. And for some time, he said, go away, go away. I can't get anything from you. I don't care about you, and I'm not afraid of God. So just go away, go away. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, this woman's not going to shut up, so I might as well give up. She keeps bothering me. I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Jesus, 
I will give her justice, even though she, she can take nothing from me, can give nothing to me. She is bothering me. Now, I'm understand, Jesus isn't saying you're bothering me when you come in prayer. He's trying to set up an extreme illustration that goes, even, even in worldly circumstances, a powerless person can get a powerful person to, to do something if they're just persistent. That's what he's trying to say. Do you get this? And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice, what is right, what is just, what is good, is, is the domain of the king, the kingdom of God? Will he not do these things for his chosen ones? Who do what? Come on, read it with me. Who cry out, come on to him, day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get what is right. And, and he'll do it quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, is he going to find, and I'm going to paraphrase, that? Is he going to find people that prayed they asked and nothing happened, so they stopped praying and stopped believing. Like when the Son of Man comes, when Jesus comes back to the earth, will he find people who have cultivated a life of prayer that didn't know how to let go, that kept praying, that kept believing, that kept pushing, that kept praying until something happened, that, that called the prayer chain, that got Miss Pat on the phone, that, that got prayer warriors. How many of you guys remember Miss Edna, the, the greatest prayer warrior I've ever known in my life? You could call her at 3 o'clock in the morning, and she'd answer the phone. Hey, doll. It's like, how did you know it was me? This is before caller ID, so it was freaky anyway. Hey, doll. She goes, oh, I was already up praying. The Lord told me you're going to call me, and you need something. I'm like, okay, that's... Uh. I mean, you know, that sometimes we have people with such great prayer lives. It's like, I don't need one. I've got Edna, right? But, but Edna cultivated that prayer life. So I, I never once... Baby, if I'm lying, I'm dying, right? If she, if she, if you called her, either she didn't answer the phone because she wasn't home or she answered the phone and she was awake no matter what time of the day or night. And you know what she was doing while she was awake? She was praying. That was her ministry. She prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. We had a young man named Josh Adams years ago. He's in our youth group. And we had a deal. Every summer, we had to raise about $30,000. We give a bunch of it to missions, and a, and a bunch of us would go on a missions trip. And this was the deal. We would raise, through this one event, about ten grand for missions, about $20,000 for the trips and all the construction projects we had part of it. And, and this is what we do. Whoever wants to go, pray about it. Whoever wants to go, you're in. But we're going to work and work, and we're going to serve for those two months before we go or three months before we go. We're going to know each other. We're going to sacrifice. We're going to pick up dog poop. We're going to rake leaves. This is Arizona. We're going to rake rocks. We're going we're gonna, to you know, do the decomposed granite. We're going to water cactuses. We're going to do anything we get asked to do because we're going we're to learn to serve our people here before we go serve God's people there. Does that make sense? So everybody works. Either we all go because we've raised enough money for all of us to go or none of us are going. So nobody's grandma could just write a check because they did one time and it was awful. She was on spring break. The rest of us were on a mission trip. So you can't go. Well, Josh Adams said this. He said, I really feel like God wants me to pray and not work. I said, well, I really feel like that's stupid. <laughs> we are all working. Pray while you shovel dog poop. But we're going to learn a service. He said, Jim, I, and he was just one of those guys. He's like, I, I just, I feel like it would almost be disobedient to the Holy Spirit. He's told me he'll provide for me. If, I, if my labor will be in prayer, God will meet my needs for this trip. And I said, that's sweet. That's wonderful, beautiful old lady religion, Josh. I admire it. But get a haircut and go to work. Jim, I, man, I don't want to get in a war with you. I really feel like God wants me to go on this trip, and I'm humbly submitting the fact that I really believe God wants me to pray and not work. I said, I'll, I'll make you a deal then. You stay home and pray while the rest of us work. But even if we have extra money, you're not going. Isn't that good youth ministry? Isn't that just inspire you to want to follow me even today, you know? So I, I check up on, hey, man, we work eight hours today out in the desert sun. Like, what'd you do? He said, I, I was in prayer for about 12. I got up early and, you know, went for a walk and just, I've been praying. And I said, any money come in? No. I'm like, well, I got some money came in. 
and you can't have any of it, so go ahead, keep praying, you know. A week goes by, two weeks, this is like a three-month, or I'm sorry, two-and-a-half-month process before we go. Do you know that by the time we left, and I said the other thing, you're not allowed to tell anybody that you're praying money in, because they go, oh, isn't that sweet? This is between you and Jesus, and you talk to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has to talk to people to give you money spontaneously. I totally set them up to fail, unless it's God. It was God. The time came, he had more money than all of us. <laughs> he actually put money into the kitty so other people could go. <laughs> and I'm saying this, there's a prayer that goes, God, if you want me to go to Mazatlan on a missions trip this summer, then, you know, give me the money. I mean, I, know, I don't think God would necessarily answer that prayer because understand this, prayer is not about getting something from God. I think primarily prayer is about getting God. And when you get God, the something generally comes along with it. It's almost like someone should say, listen, what we should do when we're seeking, we should seek first his kingdom. Someone should write that down. That's good. We should seek first like him and his righteousness. And then I think out of that, all these other things would be added unto us as well. Write that. That's good. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Write that down. So what do you think Jesus is saying in this prayer? I think he's saying ask. I think he's saying keep asking. So what is, what is the teaching of Jesus on prayer? It's number one, it's, and number two is, now, now, if you ask and God answers the prayer and the miracle takes place, the provision comes, the demon flees, the, the, then you don't like keep praying for it, it's here. But, but if you pray and nothing's happened, I think what God may be saying is keep praying. Because isn't it more vital that we learn his voice, his face, his heart, his ways, than just the moving of his hands? Boy, it's off the coin today. <laughs> Jim, come on, man. I'm so hungover from Christmas. I'm so, I'm so pumpkin pied out, man. I'm just trying to serve God. All right. But Jesus isn't done teaching. There's more. Look at this. This is the woman with the issue of blood. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she's broken. She's worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd. Now imagine this. This is Elvis walking through Memphis, Tennessee, and everybody's just like pounding, just getting, I just want to touch him. And, and oh, I touched Jesus. And oh, Jesus over here. Hey, selfie with Jesus, right? And when she heard, she came up behind him in the crowd. She, it's implied here, but she forces her way through and touches his cloak because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. There is actually theology behind that. And that is there be the Messiah would come with healing in his wings. The word wings is the word talits. Talits are the little dangly things on the robe of a, of a rabbi or a high priest. They would anoint them with oil, and the oil would fold down over the person, but it would gather in the, the fold of that garment. So when she reaches out to touch him, she's, what she's saying is, I believe that you're anointed. I believe that you carry a mantle of healing. I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe you've come to set captives free. I'm dying. I'm bleeding. I'm broke. I'm hopeless. And I will push past. I mean, imagine the weakness that she has physically to push past everybody and just kind of like like just kind of you know what I mean grab the edge of that that cloak it's down low and she gets a hold of it and instantly look what happens immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering now at once Jesus goes wait a minute hold on power's gone out from me he turned around to the crowd who's pressing against him and said who touched me now what's he saying everybody's touching him but only one person in the crowd touched him in a way that wasn't just wanting to touch him. One person's hunger, one person's need, one person's faith, one person's desperation extracted from him something that was his. Does that make sense? So I want to touch you. Hey, high five Jesus. Hey, good worship Jesus. Go to IHOP and have pancakes Jesus. There's, this is a different touch. She reached out. Power gone out from him, and he said, who touched me? 
You see the people crying against you, his disciples answered, and yet you asked, who touched me? Look at this. But Jesus kept looking around. No, 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 wait. Something happened. Something's changed. He looked around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet like she stole something from him. Trembling with fear, she said, um, I'm so sorry. Not really, but I am. Evidently, I took something that belonged to you, but it's mine, and I reached out to you, and I just, and she's trembling in fear, like, please don't take it. This is the first moment of wholeness I've had in years. Hope has been a diminishing asset in my life, and all of a sudden, it's back. Please don't take that from me. And this is what Jesus says. He says to her, thief? Is that what he says? Name it and claim it, lady? No? Faith healer, snake hangling, you know, tongue talking. Is that, what, is that what he says? What's he call her? Hey, this is family, man. What belongs to me belongs to you. Your faith has healed you. Now go in peace. I think he probably did this. I don't know for sure, but it could be. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, now she didn't ask. And she, she didn't, like, keep asking, asking, asking. In other words, I, I want you to know something. Jesus heals several people's blind eyes in Scripture, and he never does it the same way twice. He speaks, he spits, there's water, there's mud, there's, there's a demon. Like, he knows the problems, and he deals with them all separately. Hear me. I, all I know is this. If you have something Jesus has for you, you're going to have to go to Jesus to get it. And it might be, piano guy, join me if you would, please, Rock and Rob. It, 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 might, it might be a desperate, like, like, ankle tackle of Jesus. He walks down the street. It might be a persistence in asking. But I know the Bible says this. If we need a miracle, we're to ask, we're to keep asking, and we, with a desperate faith in Jesus, God, meet my need, God, meet my need, God, meet my need. And, and I want you to know this. This is where it gets tricky because faith, um, I want to say this the right way. If faith were trust, and, and, and they are, they're synonyms, but if you trusted me to be at your house at 8 o'clock in the morning because you assumed that I'd be at your house at 8 o'clock in the morning to pick you up, go to breakfast, have some coffee, and it was 8.05, you might be, you know, that's weird, Jim's not here. 8.10, you might be going, hey, um, you know, he said 8 o'clock, it's 10 after, I wonder if he forgot. 8.15, so you call me, I don't answer. 8.20, you text me, I don't respond. 8.30, you text Dina, she's not answering. How I many know sooner or later you would begin to lose faith that you and I were actually in a relationship and we were going to breakfast? But that's me. God is, in his wisdom, he doesn't want us to have trust. He wants us to have tested faith. Does that make sense? What we have so often is an untested belief. I believe God can. I believe God does. But when it becomes time for I believe God will, that's a testing of our faith. I've seen God do pretty cool stuff. I've seen God kind of not do pretty cool stuff. And so every time I ask something, that's there and that's there. And then I have to choose, do I believe enough to ask for this? And, and don't buy a show of hands, but anybody ever had a need or seen a need that was so big, you didn't have the faith to even begin to ask for it? Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. It's like, oh, come on. How about let's start with peace in my family, Good, goodwill towards my neighbors, and then we'll move out from there. What I'm saying is this. There, are, there is in Christ, there is in Jesus places where we learn who he is, what he does, what he doesn't do, what he always does, what he never does. Sometimes in in this dynamic, you know, ask, obviously, Jesus' triple imperative comes back and reiterates it and then illustrates with a parable. I think it's pretty important. I think Jesus was making it pretty important. 
all capital letters, lots of exclamation points, and highlighted in yellow if we were to do it today. But I, but I, I, think, I think that sometimes I know I'm not standing in faith when I'm not asking, I'm thinking. Ask and you receive. Think and you'll grow weary and worried and dread will come upon you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I, I think sometimes instead of saying ask, I, I say work. Work and it will be given to you. Strive. Do better. Work harder. Get smarter. Get faster. Get more help. Because, because God's not going to do it. You've got to do it for him. You've got to do it for you. And it changes the dynamics of my relationship with God. I think, I think there's all kinds of stuff that I substitute rather than asking and keep asking and touching him in desperation. What I end up doing so often as well. God's busy. It's early. I, I can't even pray this time of day. God's over in China taking care of their needs right now. When they go to sleep, I'll ask him for my needs. You know what I mean? It's, it's, you have to hear me. I don't know how to illustrate this because I know of no other relationship that has enough similarity to compare it. But when God says yes to your prayer, there's a reason for that. And when God seemingly doesn't answer your prayer, we have to understand there's also a reason for that. I am training for war. I want peace. But, But in my heart, when I get into the word, when I get into prayer, when I'm fighting something, when I'm fighting someone, when I'm fighting myself, I, I am training for, for the war of my flesh. I'm training for the war of the spirit realm. I'm training for the war to win a city to Jesus. I'm training for the war over my, the generations of my family. I'm, I'm a kind of a, maybe patriarch is too strong of a word, but I'm, I'm the elder now. My, my dads are gone, man. It's of the weekend clan. It's, there's a responsibility. Well, I, that gives me a responsibility not to be prayed for like a son, but to pray like a father. Does that make sense? I'm just simply saying this. We have to grasp the fact that God is with us. God is for us. God wants what's best for us. And sometimes we don't know what that is, but he forever will. And so when I pray and something doesn't happen the way I want it to, I'm not trying to prepare you for disappointment. Please hear me. I'm not saying, so pray, but God doesn't do it. Isn't he sovereign? I'm not saying that. I'm saying to you, listen, we are to pray and we are to keep praying and we are to be desperate and over it all, in it all and through it all. We're going to learn to trust Jesus because... A million years from now, that's the only thing that's going to matter anyway. If my bill is met or I lose my house, a million years from now, I won't think about it either way. But what I got from Jesus during that time, that relationship that was forged because of that pressure, because of that refining fire, because of that loss, because of that pain, because of that confusion or fear, or I, I'm just, I think, ugh, I've run out of time and I, I don't know what to say to you, but I've got it right here. It just won't come out the pie hole. Let's start with how good God is. And then let's talk to him. And then let's end with how good God is, no matter what. And we'll be okay. So good, I can't not spend time with you. So good, I can't not ask you for a miracle. So good, I can't not trust. I can't, I can't not believe. It, it's, you're so good. And then you can ask, keep asking, trust and keep trusting, believe and keep believing. I really don't know what happens to someone's faith when they pray for their loved one, their family member. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, help me. And then the family member dies. And he never showed up. And then three days later, he goes, I'm here now. Roll away the stone. And Lazarus' friends and family go, and this is the King James, but he's been in there for several days. Surely he doth stinketh by now. And Jesus doesn't respond. I told you what to do. Because Lazarus, get up. 
What, what happens to your faith when even death isn't victorious in the presence of Jesus? What happens to your faith when, though your prayers weren't answered the way you prayed them, your prayers are answered the way that's best for you? What happens? I, that is the type of faith I would love for us to learn in 2022. It's a new day. And I will tell you, based on the last couple of years, it's going to be, it's going to be an astounding, overwhelming, beautiful, victorious, agonizing journey, just like most of life is. But I would, I would tell you this. Yesterday's faith is not going to sustain you in tomorrow's concerns. So guess what? It's time to grow, man. It's time to grow. I want you to worship. I guess the last chance you get, because sometimes it is. We learned that in the last year. I want you to pray believing like it really matters. Lives are depending on it because we learned this last year. It really does. I want you to make your decisions well, having counsel with God and God and his wisdom that you don't doubt and you move forward in. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying it's going to be hard. I'm just, I'm just saying I know this. If you hold on to the hand that holds on to you, you're going to be okay. But we've got to learn how to pray. I could just preach it all over again if you don't say amen. I'm not kidding, man. Just... We, 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 yeah, not that heartily, because I know what you're saying. Like, no, no, shut up. Amen. Everybody say amen. My faith, the faith of altar workers, the faith of Edna, the faith of deacons, the faith of prayer chains, it's wonderful. We should, we should avail ourselves of that. But God's not brought needs or allowed needs in your life to develop my faith. God's allowed needs into your life so you'll develop yours. I'm, I'm, I'm not a priest that you come to and I sacrifice something and so, okay, God's heard your prayers because there's blood and smoke. You are a royal priesthood. Now let's start living like it. Come on. You are a holy nation. Come on, let's start praying like it. Let's envision a tomorrow that's so different from our yesterdays because this is the year we embrace everything Jesus said to embrace. And if we get crucified upside down or boiled in oil or die of old age, we will not let go of the hand holds on to us. So, Father, I, I'm done. You can do anything you want with that, God. I pray that you adjust. That there's, there's, just other, there's this other thing, and I don't think it's for me to say. I think it's for you to say. But we get this, and we prosper, or we don't get this, and we suffer. And I, I would, in some cases, say we suffer yet again. The same loss, the same heartbreak, the same confusion, the same hopelessness. God, I, your people are not to descend into hopelessness or to ascend to faith. And I pray that today you would just oh, get a hold of our hearts. It's not a pattern. It's not a formula. It's you and you alone. It's Christ and Christ alone. It's the moving of the Holy Spirit. It's the foundation of the Word. A house built on sand will always get blown down, always get knocked over. A house built on rock will not be moved because a rock that size doesn't move. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let me just say this to you in closing. A friend of mine, Jerry Kimley, is our family's counselor, taught me this years ago and brought it to my attention a couple of months ago. The parable of the sand and the, uh, building your house on the sand, your house on the rock. Just eyes are closed. Just hear me. He said a, a rock and, and sand have a lot in common. Sand is actually millions and millions and millions of tiny, tiny, tiny rocks, by and large. Decomposed granite used to be granite. Sand, if it wasn't made out of seashells, was made out of rocks. All the sand in Michigan is not made out of seashells. It's made out of rocks. And, and as you stand on sand, it shifts and moves. He said, think, think of it this way. Like, like think of that, that that is all like thoughts. If, if you're building your life on a thousand thoughts, a thousand priorities, 
a thousand different ways to get to God, a thousand different, you know, religious notions, a thousand traditions, a thousand, that when any adversity comes, there's nothing there that can sustain the weight and the power of the storms that you're enduring. It will all come crashing down. And on top of all that confusion will be destruction. But if your thoughts are just Jesus, that rock, that immovable, inseparable, we are connected to the rock and the rock is our foundation, that one singular thought with which, and he's talking about you can overcome panic attacks, you can overcome depression, you can overcome addiction, you can overcome oppression because there's only one thing that you have to think about, only one source, only one place, only one person, and he is the one that has all power in his hands. And so I I just... Father, now I pray that over my friends. May we have one place from which we draw every good and perfect thing. Let all the other notions and confusions and all the decomposed pieces, may we build something away from that and on this one thing, Jesus is Lord. No matter what happens, no matter what doesn't happen, Jesus is Lord. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed today. Before we leave, I just want to simply ask you this. What have you built your house on? Philosophies, thoughts, confusions, ideologies, politicians, economies, industries, anything that ends with isms? Or is your life built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness? There is a surety there is a foundation found when Jesus is your everything heads are bowed eyes are closed I just want to leave you with this thought man would you please destroy what's on confusion and please build on what is not confused would you please stop trusting things that move and shift with every news cycle and build your hope and your future your eternity on the one thing that will not move Will you trust so greatly that no matter what, no matter where, no matter when, no matter who, Jesus is the rock of every foundation, every life, every decision, every choice, and everything you trust and believe in. Kingdoms will fall, but the kingdom of God remains. In your own way, with your own heart right now, would you just tell God what side you're on in this thing? Maybe you're halfway in between. I don't know. But just, God, I'm moving everything to you. I'm trusting you no matter what. And with that, God, again, we lift up our friend. They admitted to U of M Hospital. Oxygen levels desperately low. Comorbidities aplenty. Everything science tells us, everything medicine tells us. We're not building our house on the opinions and treatments and comorbidities. We're building this house upon the rock of Jesus. Please join me if you would, would you? And just praying for him right now, Father, we ask and we will keep asking for Bill. We seek and we will keep seeking for his healing. We knock on the door of heaven and we will knock and knock and knock and knock and knock until that door opens because you promised us. Those who ask, those who seek, those who knock are welcomed petitions are answered. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven now. Bill. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Stand your feet if you would please. Can you still stand your feet after all that pasta? After all that, all the cannolis? Amen.
Hey, I got an idea. You ready? Go home. Take a nap. And while you're doing that, would you just, would you just pray? Would you ask and seek and knock? Amen? And just as Jesus probably did years ago, live long and prosper. God bless you. You're dismissed.